Trigger warning, this podcast contains discussions about suicide, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. Hello again listeners and welcome to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have our natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. My special guest for this episode, listeners, is James Conlon. Me and James connected via social media and he's been one of, if not the biggest supporter of Vent since I started this platform. James lives with inflammatory bowel disease or ulcerative colitis, anxiety, and has also suffered from depression. We'll discuss all these conditions in this pod. Also on the menu are discussions around identity, perseverance, and not giving up, even when you think there is no hope to be found. This is how our conversation went. James, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. It's taken a long time for us to get to this place and fix up our calendars, but we are finally here. You're on the pod. How are you, mate? And how are things? I'm really good, thank you. Things are really good. It's been a weird year, hasn't it? So, yeah, things are in a good place. Excellent. We're going to talk about your new job or newish job uh, later on in the pod, but how is that going? All good? Everything fine? Everything hunky-dory despite joining it in a pandemic? Yeah, it's like really well, like the weirdest time to start a job. So props to anybody else that's done that as well, because it's absolutely crazy. But it's going really well. Excellent. We've got a lot to get cracking on with. So shall we just get started? Let's dive straight into the pod, James, and talk about your journey. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about your early life, your upbringing, your sort of childhood and teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? You know, who's the James that we meet here? So I'd definitely say I had a really happy childhood. Not a care in the world. It was really good. Family have always been fantastic. But I suppose when it got to like a certain primary school age, that's when things started to change. I think like when you get to like that year five, year six, and you're more... Self-aware, I guess. Yeah. Or a bit more self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. Aware of what people are saying about you as well. I always found it like quite difficult to understand why people had so many opinions about you. And I guess that's where my mental health started to suffer a little bit. You're making this big, massive change to go on into secondary school. And some people obviously already have like a preconceived idea about you because they're probably friends with people that you went to primary school with. And as soon as it hit secondary school, to be honest, that's when like I was pretty aware of having some issues with my mental health. You know, we've spoke before quite openly. I found it, I don't anymore, but I found it really difficult to not take to heart what people were saying about me. And it was just weird. The overriding thing that people would always say, it annoys me to this day because I still get it a little bit, but not as much. And yeah, basically, like it was just overriding about my sexuality. I am what, like 13 years old. How can you dictate my sexuality to me? I was 13, for God's sake. I've not even had an, a sexual experience. It sounds really weird. And when I say it, people must think, well, you should really know who you are. But I almost find that there was like some lost years where I was marginalised into this, well, 
you're gay. So, like, I almost felt that that's what I had to be, if that made sense. Which is really horrible, because when you think about it, like, you can't experience anything else, because people have told you for years of your life that you're a certain type of person. Didn't even know yourself. Yeah. Like, I've always, I'm 29 years old now, but I've always found that really difficult. I almost feel like there was a period in my life where I could have been exploring, but I was too scared to because of what had already been written in the stars for me, which is so sad, really, because when you think about it, like, you should still be able to have those experiences, but it was just so such a turbulent time of, like, it was relentless sometimes. I don't know, it was just weird. Literally one experience that I'll remember, and I have spoken about it before, not too much, but... I think it was sort of like mid-high school. It was in PE. One of the people in my year, I, I hated PE anyway, for obvious reasons. You're stuck with all the egotistical males in your year who literally just are very good at sport and I never was. I was always put in goal and that was for a reason because it was rubbish. But I think we were playing rounders or something. It was outside. This one kid just like exposed himself to me in front of everybody else and I sort of look back at that and I think, like, why was it acceptable? Like, I'm not scarred by it. I just think, like, it's really strange that people think that that's okay. It was just really weird. So I think as time went on, especially going through high school, that's when I knew that I wasn't coping very well with it. I'd come home and I'd just, I wouldn't want to talk to my family. I'd literally want to lock myself in my room. Your life changes in those years, doesn't it? Like, you're learning about you are and like you're going through like different struggles like with your friendships and like trying to find out who you are and I always felt like a little bit robbed because I was always told that I was gay and to be honest that's what I've always been told so. You wrote about this period of bullying in a bit more detail in an event article in September 2019 called You Are The Reason which I'll, I'll put in the pod description again. Just tell me about why you wanted to write it and the experiences that you talked about for the listeners who haven't had the chance to read it yet. I suppose writing it really, like, I actually find that I use a lot of social media, more Twitter than anything, to write not just about experiences, but like almost like that's my outlet. And I don't always write because I do feel like I did it for a while and then I open my whole life out. There's been times in the past where I've written for some media outlets about my sexuality and stuff like that. And that is really hard. I think it's important to share because, like, it just makes people more aware. I actually find it quite therapeutic, which sounds really weird to be able to just get it out. And like, you might have been holding on to that or even writing it, it might have triggered you a little bit. But once it's out there and people read it, then maybe that can change one person's mind. If it's only one person, then that's one person more educated than there was before. I feel like it was never bullying in terms of like it wasn't violence or anything like that. But it was so verbal, just constantly. To this day, when people like say stuff about my sexuality or I get called like a certain thing that it will literally still trigger me back to when I was 13 years old. And that's what I find really difficult. So I feel like writing about it always made me be a bit more open about it. And also to just be a little bit honest and be like, well, actually, this is not okay. And you are going to know why I'm now the way I am because of the experiences that I've gone through, which some people now, when you look back, you'll feel the same. You'll have people that will literally approach you years later. Like I'm 29 now, so I left school a long time ago. You'll have people be like, oh, really apologetic. And (laughs) I get that. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. But if you cared enough or if you were that bothered about the behaviour going on at the time, then you would have stepped up. I hate seeing people 
being torn down for who they are because I knew how that felt. If you write about it, there might be someone out there that's of school age now or feeling how you were feeling like 10, 15 years ago. And if it reaches them, then hopefully it can help them a little bit. In one part of the article, you said, I hated who I was, I hated everything about my life, and I didn't want to be alive anymore. Now, obviously, that's a very worrying sentence. And I certainly got in touch with you when you wrote it, because it sounded a lot like you had certainly had some suicidal thoughts. Just firstly, would that be an accurate assessment? And then secondly, have you gotten to a stage recently or or since the article was was written about getting to a better stage of sort of self-acceptance with who you are? I'd definitely say going through those years, you almost feel like, I never felt targeted, but it was always like, imagine going to school five days a week and people literally telling you who you are. You just going to school because it's part of your education. You don't go to school for people to dictate who you're going to be in life. There was definitely periods where I would literally be like, what is the point in me being here to be subjected to constant, ridiculous name calling? Like, it was just always about my sexuality. And I was like, do these people not have anything else to do? But then in hindsight, like, if they were doing it to me, they weren't doing it to someone else. So even though it was horrendous, I would rather have taken the brunt of it. It was fine. But definitely feeling suicidal. I think from maybe like year eight to year 10, I was definitely so ready to just be like, you know what, just forget about everything. That's really hard because when you think about it, you're like, why am I letting people, stuff that people say dictate whether I want to live my life anymore. But it's just scary as well when you think back that you're so ready sometimes to do something like that. I actually probably don't think I... I'd never tried, but it had always been something that I'd always thought about. I actually don't think I'd have the strength to be able to do something like that anyway, because I always forward think, so I would always think, well, what would that do to my family? And it was just always really tricky. I'll always now be a lot more accepting of who I am. But like we said previously, I actually found it still really difficult if someone's quite negative about my sexuality or something like that. So there's a lot more acceptance now. I'm very accepting of who I am and I'm proud of what I've gone through in my experiences. However, there's always going to be that that 1% of me that will always be a little bit self-deprecating and will always wonder what life would be if I hadn't have had those experiences It's really difficult. I always find that you can never be 100% accepting of who you are as a person because nobody's perfect. It's a massive learning curve and it took me a long time, like even in my early 20s when you're supposed to be really enjoying yourself. I'd still literally doing like detrimental stuff. Like I'd either go out and get drunk or I was just being stupid and doing silly things. And I just used to think. Recklessness. Yeah, you're just trying to fill a void. It's a bit sad, really, but it's your life, isn't it? So you, you have to be accepting of who you are. And I think the experiences that you go through, no matter, sometimes they can be absolutely awful. Like they will mould you to the person that you are. I think it's really tricky. I'd never say 100% that I'll probably ever be accepting of who I am as a person because you have to be really content and you're always going to have something that may trigger you. Uh, I always err on the side of caution because I think, yeah, I'm like proud of who I am. I'm proud of myself. But you've always got to expect the unexpected sometimes. 
as an adult, James, you talked about kind of the scars that bullying has left you. And, and, you know, what you've said just chimes so much with my experience about kind of self-deprecating a lot. And you talked about this intense people-pleasing anxiety in an Instagram video and how it kind of led to some elements of suicidality um, and some really kind of dark moments as well. If you could just talk to me about how the people-pleasing anxiety affects you and do you actually think it was as a result of the bullying that you went through? I think to answer the last question, it's 100% because of the experiences that I've been through, especially being bullied for who you are. But I also find it really difficult going through every year at school. My friendship groups would always change. Sometimes it'd be the same group of people for a while, but I'm one of those people, I probably will always be one of those people that continually doubts why people are my friends. Because I've got so much anxiety behind it that I almost, I do want to be someone's friend, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking... Is it legit? Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, and it's scary, really, because I can't just be happy that someone wants to be friends with me. There's almost the negativity behind it because I'm constantly thinking to myself, well, am I doing something wrong? Why isn't this person replying to me? I'm not needy. People might say different, but I don't feel like I can be a needy person. I just don't like to feel like I've done something wrong. And I feel like my people pleasing, which can be so intense, always got worse because I was always so concerned about what people thought of me because I'd literally I'd had people think well tell me for years who I was as a person so how's that not going to turn into me trying to please people I always found it really difficult I just wanted to be friends with people and they would always negatively shut it down because they thought I was someone when I didn't even know who it was myself all throughout high school unless I sat next to another guy in my class I never had any guys in my friendship group there were always girls which when people are calling you gay doesn't really help because you've got a girl friendship group but who else are you supposed to be friends with it's not Lindsay Lohan 2.0 sitting in the toilet like eating my lunch when I look back now like it sounds really sad and upsetting but I think I'm still to this day a people pleaser I go too far for people even when someone's nasty or horrible I'll always blame myself instead of them I've always found it so hard not to try and please people because I suppose there was that void where I almost felt like that people would just not like me anyway let's talk about your IBD diagnosis now James so firstly for the listeners who don't know what it is do you want to just explain what it is when you discovered that you had this condition and how it affects your day-to-day life and your mental health so IBD is short for inflammatory bowel disease which is a pillar term for two illnesses primarily anyway called Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Crohn's disease is obviously a little bit more well known and they both affect the digestive system. I have ulcerative colitis which is only it says it only affects your bowel but obviously there is other side effects as well. So I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2012 and it was probably about six months after my 21st birthday which you know everybody's like oh my god you're turning 21 how amazing and then you're literally like without being too graphic so graphic warning you're literally going to the toilet and all you can see is blood in the toilet I'm sure you can imagine if that ever happened to you you'd literally just be like what the hell is going on for me it was always pretty difficult I'll vividly remember when it happened because we're on holiday for my granddad's birthday I I couldn't get off the toilet. It was ridiculous. Like I was getting off the toilet and things were still happening. So I couldn't control my bowels. 
on becoming Apple. It was honestly ridiculous. I suppose through the past sort of like eight, nine years of my life, it has kind of dictated what I've done or how I felt. And I don't think sometimes, unless you live with a chronic illness, you'll ever fully understand. And that's not detrimental saying that nobody will understand because people are incredibly empathetic and can understand. But I think unless you've been through it, it's really hard to know what it's doing to you. There's so many different emotions, thoughts, feelings, physical aspects that go on. I know that had I have not been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, I'd have probably taken life a little bit more for granted. So in a weird way, I always kind of say that even though it's an illness and doesn't have any current cure at the minute, it's just something you live with. In some ways, I'm really thankful for it, which sounds so stupid to say, like whoever says that, they're thankful for being ill. But it's brought a lot of things into my life that it wouldn't have otherwise. So such as friends that understand people with the same illness, people that I speak to on a daily basis more than people that I would locally. I don't really speak to anybody from school anymore, just because that natural progression that we're all grown up, people who understand what I'm going through, and they've had similar experiences to me. I don't think I would have been vocal talking about not only ulcerative colitis but my mental health had it not have been me being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis because it sort of like pushed me into being like well I'm either gonna sit back and feel sorry for myself and my mental health is gonna get worse or I'm gonna try and do something about it and it sort of pushed me into advocating for not just talking about life with inflammatory bowel disease but also like talking about my mental health a lot more openly and then obviously work as well I'd been in a the same job for 12 years. I really wanted to, and sounds like a Gandhi quote really, but I really wanted to make a difference rather than be stuck in a job that was great and I had such great experiences and great time, but it was unpredictable. The hours were always, you could be working late at night, especially seasonally. But I'd always sort of felt like there was something missing. And I suppose I'd got to the stage where I didn't really want to give up. And it probably comes back to like the people pleasing as well. Like I want to make a difference to somebody else's life or try and do the best that I can to make a difference. Not for just me personally, but how many jobs can you say that you're able to do that? There's a lot of things that people do, but not all of them touch different people, do they? I'm really thankful for it because in a roundabout way, it turned my life around. At the start, I was like, why have I got this? This is going to ruin my life. To now, nearly nine years later, I'm actually quite thankful for the experiences and the pain and the hurt that I've gone through in the past to where it's brought me now. You decided to raise awareness about IBD when you changed your surname. Do you want to just tell the listeners about that? Because you've got quite a lot of press coverage. It's really stupid. I've just been talking about like my ulcerative colitis for ages and... There's a national charity called Crohn's and Colitis UK, who are the main UK charity that will support, but also offer guidance, hold events, all of these sort of things. They did this yearly walking series, and it was basically just to raise money and awareness of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. I'd done it. I'd signed up and I was like, I, I want to raise as much money as possible. It's the first sort of event I'd done based on it. So people were really generous and donating. And I kept just wanting to need to come up with something inventive. And 
They'd always been a joke about my name anyway, because people in the community had always said they'd read my name as colon anyway. Like, 10th time, I was like, this is really boring now. Like, your joke is wasted on me because I've heard it too many times. But then I thought, when I was fundraising, I was like, what can I do? I said I'd change it on social media, which I did. You have to have it for something like, I don't know, it's about 60 days or something like that. But then I said if I raised a certain amount, I'd change my name by Depol. Luckily, I didn't do that because obviously my name's not colon now. But looking back, what it did was not only help me raise some money, but I see so many different articles and stuff sometimes of so many silly things that I think are silly anyway that get a huge platform. And I got the chance to be interviewed for Lad Bible, which clearly not a lad. However, that platform to be posting something like that, I didn't think would ever happen. So for me, I'll always be proud that even though I didn't want to speak out about it at the start, that it was important that something as silly as me changing my name, which wasn't just the base of the article, it was going through why, got some exposure and maybe there was a guy reading that article or who'd seen it that might not have known anybody else that was going through the same thing as him. So it can only be a good thing. And just finally, James... For anyone listening to this pod who might be struggling with their sexuality, their IBD or their mental health or all three, what message or advice would you give them from your experience? Just to keep going, really. I always found that I'd get to a point where, like we've discussed before, that you don't want to be here anymore. But there's so many things in your future that you, there's stuff to live for. Just take what everybody says with a pinch of salt because at the end of the day, you are who you are and it doesn't matter what you're going through, what your sexuality is, if you've got an illness, if you're struggling with your mental health, you matter as a person. So you're adding value to somebody's life, whether that's your family, your partner, your friends. So just stay strong and make sure that, you know, if you need support, you can access that. But also don't be afraid to be a little bit brave and push yourself out of your comfort zone because good things can come from it. We talked about your journey, James. Let's talk about the work you've done in the mental health community and for people who are struggling with their mental health. Now, I know you don't like being described as an advocate, but your openness and your honesty on social media has, I'm sure, inspired and helped so many people. So firstly, how did this journey start? You know, who was the first person you told about your story, you know, publicly or privately, or perhaps the first article you wrote and and what impact did that have on you? I almost found that there was always sort of a progression of, sounds really like self-indulgent, but like of me wanting to talk about what I'd gone through or my experiences. When I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, it did knock my mental health loads, but it took me a while to be quite open about it. So I almost feel seeing other people being so honest and open about it made me want to talk about it. And there's almost that fight or flight mechanism. I want to talk about it, but I'm actually quite scared to be open. I have a lot of friends who are quite open about it and seeing them being so brave about what they'd been through and how they were dealing with it always inspired me. So as you know, one of my good friends, Hattie, has the same illness as me. I was inspired a little bit by her, by how open and honest she was and how raw people's emotions can be. I'd always sort of pushed it to the back of my mind that I'd never really wanted to talk about what I'd been through because it could be so triggering. I decided it was time to start talking. It was time for me to be able to understand how I was feeling wasn't abnormal. I was allowed to feel the way I was. 
And what reaction did you have when you did that first article? You know, all the comments that you got, you know, what feeling did that give you? Did it give you that feeling of validation? There's a fine line, really, because when you do something like that, you've almost got people being like, oh my God, you're so brave, or didn't really know this about you, all of these things. For me, it's like impulse validation. You read it and you're like, that's nice, but then you're waiting for the negative comment. And I still to this day, someone will say something really nice about me, but I'm waiting for the backhanded compliment or something like that. I suppose in some respects, it's really nice for people to know either what you've been through or what you're going through, how you're feeling, and you being quite raw and honest. But I'd be lying if it wasn't a little bit about validity. However, it still doesn't make it any better. Sometimes people can literally be like, I'm really sorry, but then has that changed someone's opinion? They're validating themselves rather than you, aren't they? Yeah, making themselves better, which always really difficult because then you just think in the back of your mind, well, when it's so open on social media, other people can see that, their comment. So are they doing it to make themselves look good? Through your social media posts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, you've also faced some really horrible abuse from trolls and astonishingly, can't believe I'm saying this, but from so-called other mental health advocates as well. I think on Facebook in particular that you experienced that. If you could just tell me about, you know, what happened there and and the impact that had on you, because I'm sure you must have struggled with it a little bit at times. I think some people play it very dangerously. Like it's okay to talk about your mental health and it's okay to be honest and open, but it's not okay to attack somebody else for being honest about theirs. In what sense? I know I've always found it really difficult because I think that people can be so open and honest that you're letting people into your life that will have read or know a lot about you and those always aren't the right people and I almost feel like you are going to get people who are negative and nasty people will troll like I remember there's been times before where I've put stuff up on Twitter and I've had people quote tweet it I think there was one time about I want to say like two years ago I put like a video up and I was crying in the video and there was quite a thread of comments from men just being quite nasty about the video these people didn't follow me either which was really weird and when you're in a dark place that doesn't really help I suppose you have to take it with a pinch of salt really because unfortunately if you're going to be quite honest and open you can't kid yourself that people aren't going to be nasty about it I hear that. I think it's also a sad state of affairs when we have to expect that there's going to be some negative reaction to us being honest and open about mental health, which is really sad. It's safe to say that there aren't too many IBD advocates on mental health. So you must get a lot of people DMing you asking for advice or asking you for signposting. You know, how do you manage that alongside your mental health? It's really hard not to be able to go to in I think you have to be careful like it's always nice to have a new friend but even with talking about your mental health you can't sometimes have people use you as a crutch and it's so hard and I know you'll feel the same way you have to be so so careful just for your own self-care really because someone might really need support but you're not qualified to give that support I don't think people realise that sometimes. So it's more about, like you say, signposting someone to the support that they can get. You can be kind and you can be caring, but you can't involve yourself in those situations because then it becomes something that you can't sleep at night because you're thinking about somebody else. It can't be like that because you could have got yourself to a really good place and then it can go straight back to literally feeling the, the way you did. And that's nobody's fault, but... 
that's what happens sometimes when you're trying to be too kind. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. And I think we both had have shared examples, you know, privately where we've had people take advantage of us a little bit or we've had to learn basically on the job in inverted commas about how to set those boundaries and how to put that space involved. I remember, I'm not sure if you saw it, but Matt Hay was posting, he's a mental health author you know, and, and also a children's author in his own right, if anyone doesn't know. And he posted like this big thing like a couple months ago, I think it was. It's really distressed woman had been in a suicidal state, I think it was. And she messaged him like asking him for help. And he was one who had to kind of like notify the police. And there was a big kind of like, you know, hoo-ha about it. And and on the one hand, I feel obviously very, very sorry for that woman who felt like, you know, a author on Instagram or Twitter was the only person she could speak to. But at the same time, like, it's totally unfair for someone like Matt to have had to deal with that and to have started all those steps because he was seen as the person who felt res- responsible for doing it, And that's completely unfair. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think you have to eliminate that sort of sense of responsibility from yourself because at the end of the day, you are a person too. You have to put your feelings first sometimes. You can absolutely try and help someone out, but you're not going to change their life. Sometimes you can't save that person. They have to save themselves. It's really important. And it does make me sad to think that people have nowhere else to turn sometimes. And they have to contact someone that they don't know. Like it breaks my heart really, because when you think about it, you'll always think there'll be someone there. And when there's not, I wouldn't know how to manage that. But it's about looking after yourself as well. And you'll know as well as I do that as soon as you start helping somebody, you're taking on those feelings and emotions that they're feeling that can literally drag you down within an instant and that is not a nice place to be you need to detach and i've learned that through reading about detachment theory shout out to paul mcgregor because he sent me this book on detachment and it's been such a great tool practicing every day to not get too invested in people other people's journeys and stop that people pleasing anxiety and i'll send you a link to it after this pod mate you've also said to me at times that when you've been struggling you've actually felt more more reluctant to admit you're struggling because you've built this platform and you're seen as you know by some people as a as a you know a mental health person if that makes sense um, and that's something I've certainly kind of um, shared as well why do you think that is I think there's two sides to it really I've amassed a following of people because I've been so open about my mental health which is really good and I'd never expect that me talking about myself which really sounds self-indulgent and talking about how I feel and those raw emotions sometimes would reach so many people however it's actually really difficult when you're going through something to try and openly admit it because when your emotion is very high posting out there that you're not coping very well when you're in that bad place what can that lead to that's what I really struggle with even to this day if I have a really bad time I sometimes I do the classic thing which a lot of my friends hate which is I will just try and disappear off everything I'm the classic person that will literally like be like right I'm deactivating my Facebook. No one can get in contact with me, which sounds really dramatic. But I get myself into such a headspace when I'm feeling low that I'm so sometimes addicted to checking my social media, seeing what someone said or reading stuff that will literally make me even worse. Sometimes I just need to get away from it. I do find it really hard, not because of how many people follow me or what I talk about, because I don't just talk about mental health. I just talk about life. But it is so difficult. It's really double-edged because talking about it really helps and that might help somebody. But you're putting your life out there and then there's not a lot that people don't know about you. So 
I just feel sorry for the people that are influencers and get paid to like talk about their life because when I talk about myself, that's just letting loads more people in. And I can sometimes feel that that very rarely can be used as ammunition against you. So that's what I suppose I'm not scared of that, but that's what worries me when I'm really low and I might be really upset. You'll know we referenced it earlier that I pop on my social media probably about, I think it was sort of like mid-lockdown actually, saying how I wasn't really coping at all. Even putting that stuff out there you're really nervous about because you're showing people what is actually going on. I can't lie about how I'm feeling because then that's just me putting on a brave face. But it's also really hard to be open and honest without worrying about what the fallout may be from that. You shouldn't have to feel like that. But in this day of like everybody's so active on social media, everybody's going to have an opinion. And when you're in a negative headspace, someone else's opinion can make you feel worse. Our final topic of conversation, James, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, circumstances including or excluding, I guess, with the general new normal we are in. How is your mental health at the moment? It's really good with what's going on at the minute in the world. It's just been a really weird time. It's been just so strange. This year hasn't been that bad, if that makes sense. There's been changes in my life, like new job, that I never would have had. And I am in a better place because at the start of this year, and even going through lockdown, that's when I'd started my job. So like, it can be completely unpredictable. At the start of this year, I was just really fed up with life. And like I said to you before, I really wanted to do something new and I was getting quite a lot of rejections and just being like, you're great, but we've gone with someone else. So like it was getting to that stage where I was literally probably going to be in the same job for a while now. That thought was probably the biggest thing bringing me down at the time. Whereas a month later, I went to a job interview and then within a couple of days of the job interview, found out I'd got the job, which I'd gone from that stage of literally feeling like, well, if I'm going to give up, I just may as well do it because I've not spent like nearly two years of my life trying to break into something that is then going to negatively impact me. So on the whole, long-winded answer, it's taken, there's been like the different elements of it. There's been some really great things happen, but I don't think any of us would have expected the world to change so quickly. And when you're being told that you can only go and walk outside for an hour and you've got to stay inside your house, it's going to play havoc with anybody's feelings. We've spoken about your experiences of anxiety and the depressive period that you went through and obviously your IBD as well. When you had that first conversation about your mental health with someone, who was it with? And did you feel like a part of you had changed or you had entered a a new chapter in your life? Or did it seem fairly insignificant? You know, how do you look back on it? I feel like when I'd really spoken about it openly and honestly, it's always been with my parents because they'll notice the change in me. Whenever I seem to have a really rough time, they experience that in front of them. Some people say it lifts a weight, but I don't always feel that way. It's almost like you have to walk yourself through it sometimes, not an immediate change. Yes, someone knows how you're feeling, but that's not always going to change. You always have to make sure that, you know, you're taking those steps to get the support you need. So definitely I feel like 
it helps, but it had always been really difficult for me because it was never that. I'm just going to click my fingers and now because somebody knows about it, it's not just on me because you still feel that same way. So it always really helps and always has helped, but it's definitely one of those things. It's always a learning curve, especially when I know I'm feeling low. I know that I can talk to people, but it can be a really tricky situation. And what triggers do you have in life that might affect your mental health? Or have you not figured all of them out yet? I think it's a learning curve, really, because there is certain things, like we've mentioned earlier, where I've been through experiences in my earlier years of bullying, where there'll be certain things said that will trigger me back into a negative mindset which I find really hard because you can't get out of that mindset then because as soon as someone said it, you're back into it. But I suppose sometimes even it can be situations that are triggering. With anxiety, it's definitely situational because everybody gets that nervousness around meeting new people. But I almost feel absolutely awful when I meet anybody new because I'm so anxious and not even scared about meeting them. It's that people-pleasing aspect of it always and probably too much sometimes to the annoyance of other people. but And then you feel anxious that you're a burden, and then you get more anxious about feeling anxious. It is an incredibly vicious cycle. So I feel like there is certain things that I'll know that either I do or can be impacted by environmental or other people that will trigger me. But you're constantly learning about those triggers and how you can manage them. Like you can't avoid it all the time. Like someone might say something, you might be in a situation where you can't react the way you would usually. So it's a tricky one. Have your friends or people in your life kind of like learned your tics or your little kind of like hints here and there when you are feeling anxious and they know the right things to say to kind of calm you down? So for example, like if you went out and you were meeting new people and you were feeling a bit anxious, one of your friends could just say like, don't worry, James, you're doing fine. I like to think so, but then sometimes like it doesn't help anyway. It's ridiculously vicious and it sounds so stupid, but sometimes I'm just, well, it's just words. But I think definitely family and friends notice when things aren't good. But I would almost say it's really hard in that situation or those situations to be able to not necessarily calm me down, but make me feel any better, whether it's, like you say, going out or if I'm really down or depressed or anxious. It's really hard to say something that's going to help when you feel so negatively or you're feeling so low. Anything someone says to you, you can spin a negative on it. If you're feeling those sorts of feelings, nothing anybody says can help sometimes. And what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? You know, which ones have you found that worked and which ones that haven't? I know you you know, have really got into exercise recently. Is that something that has helped you? It's helped loads. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to change career again and be, become a personal trainer. It's definitely not on the, the path for me. But I feel like I needed to do something, especially going through a lockdown period these past couple of months. You couldn't really do much else, couldn't go anywhere unless you wanted to go food shopping. So I almost felt that even just getting out there for a short period of time would really help. And it does help. I said something yesterday on my Instagram that I hadn't walked as much this past week because it had been quite hot. And when it's too warm, literally, why do you want to walk around? Because going to be sweating but I noticed more of an impact on my feelings from not exercising which I'd never really thought about it was always helping my mental health especially over the past few months but I'd never really realized if I'd stopped for and it was only for about four or five days how much it would impact on then the way I was feeling 
I've tried quite a few things and it's so difficult. I have tried CBT and I'm currently not on any medication, but I have tried medications before and it's just so hard. It's an evolving process and you have to, I think sometimes as well, you almost have to be in the right place to know what's going to help you. It's incredibly tricky to pinpoint what can help you sometimes because you're like, oh, well, that's not going to help without even giving it a chance. So exercising has definitely helped me, but I know sometimes like people are like, oh, journal or like bullet journal and stuff like that. And stuff like that doesn't help me at all because like even writing my feelings down, I then can't go and read back on it because I'll probably just get triggered. You know what it's like? There's certain things that you will not be able to do because you know that they've either not worked for you or they're not going to work because sometimes it might be that you're not going to give it the chance, but not everything works for everybody. And how do you support friends or other people in your life who may be struggling with their mental health or might have mental health issues themselves? And what could you say to the listeners if you if they do know someone who is struggling with their mental health, what would be the best things that they could do to support them? It's about being there, but it's not about suffocating that person, making sure they're okay, but not pestering them for an answer. It's a learning curve for yourself and that either family member or friend for how things might change when they're going through a bad period of time. You have to bear with that friend or family member because they probably don't know where the feelings or thoughts are coming from. And I think it's just really important to take a step back as well and don't take on the way they're feeling because you have to be so careful then then it doesn't spiral out of control for you. So you can be there for them. You can support them. Don't suffocate them, but also make sure you're looking after yourself as well because if you don't look after yourself, then you end up in exactly the same position a couple of months down the line. Toxic masculinity is something we try and break down a lot on this pod, James. What does toxic masculinity mean to you and what examples of it have you experienced in your life that you can share with the listeners, whether that's through homophobic abuse that you got in school or or other examples? To me, it means it's just incredibly annoying. People will say, I put up a tweet the other day about it, actually, and someone replied saying, sometimes it's okay to tell someone to man up. And I almost wanted to get into it with this person because sometimes it's situational and I was like, is that okay? Would you tell a female that she can't be upset about something? Why do you think it's exceptional to make this a situational thing? And I stepped back and I was like, why do people still have views like that? It can be incredibly generational, but also people are just incredibly ignorant to the fact that men can live with mental health issues or have a mental illness and people still for some reason can't accept that which is incredibly toxic regards to my own personal experiences other than the bullying at school like a lot of it's been on social media what we discussed before about me posting raw and honest videos not a lot but like a few times I'll get the feedback about you shouldn't be crying or people telling me to man up and when I've put tweets about men's mental health and I always use that man up phrase to say please don't say this at least 45% of the replies sometimes can be from someone so ignorant that thinks it's a joke that's what's toxic about it for me because people think it's funny when in actual fact they're probably the person that's struggling so I feel sorry for them you can make a laugh and a joke about it But you need to be careful because there's going to come a time where you'll be struggling too. You don't want to think back and be like, 
how stupid of me. It's a topic that like I'm really passionate about because I think why can't people just regardless of their gender be able to talk openly about their emotions? Why is there so much stigma behind a man being so open? Because there's some ridiculous societal pressure that says that a man must be the strong one, like he must provide like all of these ridiculous things that in the grand scheme of things, when you're struggling with your mental health, actually don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the breadwinner. It doesn't matter if you've got a family. If you've got issues and you're scared to talk about them, then that's what does matter because we need to get better talking about it. You don't talk about it. That's why the UK suicide rate is so high for men because they're scared to talk about it. And they don't see any other way out. It's horrible, really, because you think there's people like myself and yourself that really try and break down that stigma. But there's still probably 50% of the population that won't talk about their mental health because they're scared of the repercussions, whether that's from their family, their friends or their career. I've said to you a lot, you need to start blocking these people, James, but I guess it's a journey for sure. We also talk a lot about positive masculinity as well, James, on this pod. How would you define positive masculinity and what qualities should a man exude to be described as positively masculine? Now, some guests have said it's empathy. Some guests have said it's emotional intelligence. Some guests have said it's self-confidence. You know, how would you view it? You have to be empathetic. And I don't necessarily think that's a quality that sometimes people necessarily would say that a man can be they're wrong obviously however I feel like you have to have some sort of empathy at some point in your life I think people learn to be empathetic whether that's through something they've gone through or what their experiences of life are you've got to be confident but not too confident for me it's about honesty empathy and honesty would be the two things that I would say are positive not being afraid to be a little bit open you might have a really really solid group of laddie lad mates but if it takes you to open the conversation about the way you're feeling then that might help one of them and that can only be seen as a positive thing the more empathetic you are and understanding of your surroundings what you're going through what other men are going through as well build you as a person so definitely empathy is a huge one because you have to I know I'm so much more empathetic now than I ever have been I'll cry at some ridiculous things sometimes not mental health wise you'll see something on the tv and you'll cry and I'm literally like why is this making me so emotional but it's the empathy in you isn't it I think empathy grounds you a lot as well you have to understand people's circumstance and what they're going through and if you're not empathetic sometimes then it can be very toxic and just finally james what more do we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds all genders all sexualities and everyone feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health just have to continue talking like i feel like we're still so far behind talking about our experiences and what we go through just through i don't feel that that pressure to i can happily open up about the way i'm feeling but i understand so many people can't so it's about taking that risk and being open looking out to those people that you might have seen that have been a little bit honest about it if you can't reach 
out to someone. There's so many good services to do that. But it's definitely about continuing to talk, continuing to educate yourself on what's happening and not be ignorant to it. Continuing not to involve yourself in negative situations that will not always have the best ending. I think it's those sort of things that we need to start doing, start being better at talking about it, start calling it out when it's wrong. Don't be that bystander. Don't be the enabler. You can't sit back and see someone be destroyed by one person. You need to step in, but stepping in the right way. Make sure someone's okay. Make sure that you're giving someone the open forum to talk. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to say a massive thank you to James for being my special guest and for letting me check in with him. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling very, very generous, write us a review and rating on iTunes. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it's always okay to vent. Vent.